fives love you by supporting your agenda. And for as long as I can remember, Carolyn has given me a lot of love through supporting my agenda. And it started in um, when I was a child. She, she was the first to take me to a water park. Um, definitely plenty of um, my first movie. A lot of, lot of fun with Carolyn as a kid. And then as I grew older, uh, playing sports, she, or being in debate, or being a cheerleader, she she would make it to a lot of games. She would travel to a lot of games and, and support me. I remember her driving really far one time to an Anna basketball game, and, and she'd come all the way from Dallas. And I remember her walking in, and, and I had a tendency to foul out of basketball games. I was a... Um, scrappy eight who liked to get dirty and usually that meant fouling in basketball and I remember her distinctly walking into the Anna gym after fighting Dallas traffic to get out of Dallas to Anna Texas and walking in the gym and I um, was a starter and I was sitting on the bench and it was halftime and she uh, she looked at me and I just shook my head and held up a four because I already had four fouls. So as what that looks like as as I got older um, into adulthood, I played tennis in college and uh, she would she she made it to several of my tennis matches in college, even those that were out of state and uh, bought all of my books in college. And that's how that's how she loves you. It's not. Um, she's not, there's not a lot of hugs and kisses and, and affection. It's her way. Her five way of loving is I'm, I'm supporting you and I'm supporting your agenda. So then we were having babies. Um, she would not come to the house without diapers. And, and we used to laugh and joke because, um, after we, our babies grew out of diapers, then if she showed up at the house, it was very practical she would have in the back of her car because she had gone to Sam's. It was practical. She had uh, loads of toilet paper and paper towels. So we would we would tease that she had the black market on on household paper products. Um, but again, that was just her silent, quiet five way of loving us, which um, actually has been pretty great. I'm 41 years old and. Only in the last two years have I really started to start buying paper products for my house. <laughs> so Carolyn's loved us really well for a lot of years. I, um, as, as she, she ages, you know, with, with my parents too, where I'm finding there's, there's starting to be more of, more of a give and take than there, you know, always has been. And that is where I have the opportunity to, to take care of her a little bit more. And, I know that kind of one way I've seen that really develop um, that's unique to her being a five is while she's um, she has she's close to me and she's close to my sister Jenny and she's close to to my mom she and she shares pieces with all of us when something's happening with her um, usually if it's if it's medical or something physical or even just something kind of going on she doesn't usually give any of us the full story. And I think that's just inherent to, to her being, uh, 
private and being a five. And, um, you know, fives don't want to be known. And while she's comfortable and loves all of us very much, and we found the three of us, mom and Jenny and I, that one of the best ways we could take care of her is to kind of come together. Um, she's actually heard me tell this story. And so now I have to be careful because she knows we all talk to each other now. So I know sometimes when she's getting ready to give me some information, or if I'm asking her if I can take care of something specific, she'll kind of look at me like, have you talked to your mom? Have you talked to Jenny? Did they say something? And I just, I, I find that endearing, quite frankly, because it's like she, she she knows this about herself she knows this about us and still it's it's an area for her where i think as a 5 it's just a, it's almost a little it causes a little bit of anxiety to have someone know you so closely and know what's going on uh with you in, in great detail carolyn's in her mid to late 70s and uh, not big on going to the doctor and she finally found a good doctor and a good general physician we were all excited and she smoked for some years early early on in life um i remember only i remember her quitting when i was a little girl and definitely uh loves the beach and used to be you know that that person on the beach with the with the baby oil and the towel on the beach. So when she finally, you know, found a general physician she was comfortable with, we all as a family kind of braced ourselves for, for skin cancer or lung cancer. And when you know it, neither one of those happened. Um, but they did find a lump. And I will never forget, um, I guess I need to say a lump in her breast, which that right there is going to make a five uncomfortable. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget she, her sharing that with me and she needed to go for some tests and it had come right after just right on the tail end of a time when she had come to my work for eight days almost straight eight days in two weeks she showed up at my job at my place of employment early like 8 a.m to do something for me to take pictures uh, for me, um, consistently for these eight mornings. And I, and knowing her and knowing who she is, I knew I needed to couch my offer of help in, in a way of reciprocation. And I said, you know what, you've, you've come and helped me for these last eight days. You've come early, you've gotten up early to come help me. Let me get up and come and take you to these, you know, two, uh, tests. Let me, let me come do that for you. And she said, I'm saving you for the big stuff. And I think that pretty much sums it up with her. And that is that even when I can logically, as an eight, set it before her that it makes so much sense and it's an equal exchange for me to um, give some piece of what I have received from her, she's going to save me for the big stuff. And so I just, what I love the most is as we've traveled this road together, um, we can, we can laugh about it. We can joke about it. If I take her to, um, uh, you know, if she has, she's had a couple of dental surgeries and, and, 
um, we've worked it out where I could I could take her home from those because she was given some you know pretty heavy sedatives and shouldn't drive from that. But but we joke that I'm um, working on my medical Uber license and that she's she, you know I have to have someone who will trust me do that before I actually patent that license and get that going. And so um, Carolyn, thank you for being my you know guinea pig for my medical Uber license. Thank you for for letting me give some piece of of what you've given to me for so many years. I love you. As you have probably already guessed, today's episode is with Enneagram 5, Carolyn Teal. We're very excited to have more female fives coming up in the near future, but we had to get the ball rolling with Carolyn, who has meant so much to Suzanne to our family and life in the Trinity ministry over the years. You get to hear about the Irish goodbye. You get to hear about how fives deal with cancer, or this five in particular, fives and moving. And I love that it's really just a story about how Suzanne and Carolyn met and the early years of their relationship. Quick reminder that there are a couple weeks left to apply for both the Enneagram cohort and the contemplative cohort. So visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com and apply today. There's another one somewhere along the line. So we could talk about coaching. We could talk about, I don't think we have to worry about it. I think it'll all come. Well, you were always the, I mean, I, you were the head coach because you know way, way, way more about basketball and stuff than but I But you did. know, that's part of the thing. Part of the deal is, though, because you're a five and because I had more basketball knowledge than you did, you made me the head basketball coach. Oh, sure. That was a no-brainer. Well, but that's not a no-brainer for other numbers on the Enneagram. Okay. Because for you, look just like that's so fun to take that apart. Because look at that. That's all based on where the knowledge is. Right. Which is how you are in the world as a five. It's all based on who has the most knowledge, then they should be in charge. So I wasn't the head track coach. I wasn't the head tennis coach because you had the knowledge. I didn't have brigade because you, the drill team, because you had the knowledge. We could have either one had the cheerleaders, but I had the cheerleaders because I was the most energetic, perhaps. (laughs) And you had the knowledge. You had been one. Do you right. want to mention that or not? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> yep, that's true. So I think it's interesting for you to offhandedly say, well, of course you were the head coach because you knew so much more about it I than mean, I did. There was no comparison. But that's not a, for most Enneagram numbers, it wouldn't matter where the knowledge was. It would matter who had seniority and who wanted the title. I wanted no part of the title. <laughs> no, I, no. the only thing I thought about was the knowledge yeah. about it. Or yeah, who, that's who cool. Who had it. That's pretty cool. You, and you did that with most things, I think, in terms of coaching and all the things that you started. One of the things that I, I want to talk about a little bit is that so much of what you did when you started at Bishop Lynch in 1967 or 8? Maybe 7. Yeah. Fall of... So when you started at Lynch in 1967, as a five, even though we didn't know that, or we didn't know each other, we almost did, but didn't yet, 
you started things. Mm -hmm. Fives don't generally start things. See, I just saw the need. The girls didn't have anything. Athletically, the, uh, athletically and things that would get them involved and stuff, they just didn't have anything. And so did you think, uh, I don't want to do this, or was no. it a justice thing that energized you? Maybe it was justice, but, uh, but you could tell that there were girls who were interested in sports, and there were girls that were interested in drill team and stuff like that, and they needed somebody to help them. And in a way, I was almost the natural person to do it because I was the PE teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also just something I wanted to do because I thought they uh, deserved a chance to play and have things too. I um, think it's worth saying that at Bishop Lynch, you started the drill team, the cheerleaders, intramural sports for girls, interscholastic sports for girls. With your help, when we got that far, you were there. That's, a, that's just a lot for a five to give themselves to because that meant during football season, you were there from 6.30 when the overlap came then with other with intramurals and after school stuff, you were there till six thirty or seven thirty or eight or nine at yeah, night. Because we were the last people put on the calendar for the gym. Right. I right. mean the last. <laughs> and so what would be for most fives with limited energy, which you certainly had, you would you wouldn't give it all. Like it would be too threatening to give it all. Which made me an asset energy-wise, too, not just based on who right. had the knowledge. Right. Remember we taught uh, with some a woman who taught English, I think, Elaine McNevins? Mm-hmm. And y you heard her say something one day on one of the very few days that you ever went to the teacher's lounge. Why I don't remember this. Well, you will when you hear the quote. <laughs> and you quoted her consistently, and that was, you said to her, how come I uh, get here at 6.30 and I am here at 9 o'clock at night and you get here at 10 to late and you leave at 3? Do you remember what she said? Mm -mm. She said, well, I know how to put my tongue to the roof of my mouth. Oh, right. Yeah, and say no. That's it. Yes. And so talk a little bit about how you... In most circumstances in life, absolutely have the way to put your tongue to the roof of your mouth and say no. And in terms of extracurricular organizations and responsibilities at Bishop Lynch for years and years and years, you said yes. I think it was just because of the kids. I mean, bottom line, it all came back to that. It was... Like the drill team, they came to me and asked me to help them. And my God, they were so wonderful. You just, it was something that was probably needed to get the girls involved in a different capacity. And it was just all about helping them and giving them opportunities. And I love that. And it's extraordinarily generous. 
that you did that as a five. Well, and one of the things that I, I never really thought about this, but I think I never really I never thought about this as uh, being single. Mm-hmm. I had the time too. I didn't have a family that I was going home to and taking care of and responsible for. But um, it really the the only thing I ever thought about. I said yes to almost everything, probably probably everything. And um, it was just because of the kids to give them a chance, because there really just wasn't anything for the girls much. And and then later on, when I got out of the coaching end of it and got more into service, and your book, your book was the last time I raised my hand to volunteer for right. anything. <laughs> Kathy Carlosi and I. Um, uh, it was because they needed help, and I, it was things that I got interested in, like service groups mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and stuff. And we started an inner school service group with Jesuit and JP2 and Dunn and everything. So it was things that I, that my interest, um, I just found other areas of interest to help in. All the ones, like I know, Mom, you were the first women's basketball coach after Title IX. And then y'all are talking about all these, setting up all these uh, programs for girls back what year what range is this starting like in 67 and that was before title nine all right so i just have questions kind of about that it's not really anagram related but i've got so whitney her favorite i don't person in the world is buffy the vampire slayer she thinks she just hung (laughs) the moon i know but we went and saw captain marvel and the first thing she started talking to me afterwards is how that was very Buffy like things that she was doing. And she's, you know, Rosie, the Riveter all these things. Well, y'all are real life. We did these things. Yeah. Kind of fun. So, about that. But yeah. my question is kind of like how and what you said for, for the girls, for, for the kids, yeah. just kind of the how and why that, that came together at first Bishop Lynch and then at SMU. Carolyn was already at Bishop Lynch. And she called SMU, and I was a student still. I was a freshman. I called Laurie Hamlet, the only person I knew at SMU. It's like fate. And said, I need some officials. Because since there were no sports for girls, inner school sports, Carolyn started this unbelievable intramural program. And it was so many kids were involved that when it got time for the finals, she called her friend at SMU to say, I need somebody to come officiate the finals. And that's how y'all met. That's how Mm -hmm. we met. And literally, we went and officiated the finals of that basketball game, or more than one. And I went back to SMU, and then I had a little car wreck. Remember that? Mm -hmm. I had a little fender bender on the way back to SMU, and I just turned around and went back to Bishop Lynch and we literally went to Kip's Big Boy to have <laughs> dinner, and we sat there and drank coffee and talked till midnight. And, and that's how this been, got started. We have been best friends since that started. night. All right. Well, Total fate. So now, this is, Carolyn, this is your time. So my mom goes around the country telling all sorts of stories about you, all, of, all from her perspective. Right. And so this is where the, the country now gets to hear your side of, <laughs> of most of these things. Okay. Uh, and I, 
I bet it's going to be uh, a little bit different than what they've heard. Mom, little miss relationship and relational <laughs> went back. Let's hear your side. She calls you. How does that friendship start to grow? We just connected. We just, there was just some connection right off the bat. And I'm, there are a lot of things I don't remember too well, but we just stayed in touch and started getting together, I guess, to have dinner or, or whatever. You had started coming over to lunch some. Well, we played tennis. Yes. Every Sunday morning. Yes. When I probably should, we, we, probably we won't shouldn't. talk about church right now. <laughs> we played tennis and uh, we played doubles a lot. Yes. And you and I played other people and we were quite successful. Yes, we were. You were by far the better tennis player. I don't know. Yeah, you do. And you knew it then too. <laughs> you, <laughs> uh if it's backhand, this is you. I'm quoting you. If it's backhand, I'll take it. <laughs> but uh, let me just say that the experience that you're having right now, Joel, with the two of us, is our relationship. She didn't talk, and I always talked. One day here at the Micah Center, somebody said to Carolyn, why do you think y'all are such good friends? And you said, <laughs> you remember what you said? Something about I'll let you do all the talking That's and I right. just listen to right. or something. That's right. So then the next thing that happened is what? We started playing tennis together, and then what happened? Didn't we, what was that guy's name that we started the TCIL for girls with? Uh, it was, um, was it? Uh, well, okay, I might think of his name later. Anyway, so there's this guy who has girls who are interested in sports. And we ran into him somewhere because we were trying to build a program at Lynch. We got to be friends. You knew I wanted to coach basketball. You wanted Interscholastic League for girls in the Texas Catholic Interscholastic League. And like, didn't we start doing the paperwork for that right away? Probably, and then uh, the guys down in Ennis were interested, too. And the rule was that you couldn't coach unless you were teaching. And you went to the diocese to get permission for me to te team teach with you because otherwise I didn't have a degree yet, so I was still in SMU. Right. Right. And then we started. We got right. it going. We did a, a year or two of just playing games that we could you know, not in a league, but right. like playing Hockaday or just right. different schools we could find to play to make up a, a, a small schedule, but it was kind of the best we could do because the Dallas schools at that point really weren't playing. Uh, most of the, it was either private schools or out of Dallas, like a Duncanville or a Richardson or, or We had whatever. to really, we drove far to play yeah. a girls basketball yeah. game. From the city. Yeah. All right. So from what I remember hearing, your office was, was it underneath the gym or something like no, far just, away? Just in the gym. In the gym, away from the other offices. Right. Is that very... Kind of hard to find. Is that... Okay. <laughs> and that 
Was that intentional? Was that? No, that's just where it was built, and that's how it was. But I really did like it. It a worked lot. out. For <laughs> you. Oh, it worked out great. Well, and it was in the girls' dressing room. And right. The, the the guy coaches had one in the boys' dressing room, mm. so you couldn't get to either one. Nice. I would have I would have wanted the one away as well in the guys' yeah, dressing room. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. We always kind of figured, and and then one some of the years I taught, we were in another building. Mm. And we always figured that if administration was mad at us, it, but they'd cool off before they got oh, to they us because we were so hard to find. And I stuff. like that. But it was good. It was good. You just kind of down there and nobody knew where you were kind of a thing. One of the stories that mom tells a lot is about you, like you were in a meeting one time and this guy's rambling on and on and on. <laughs> Do you I know, you know what story I'm talking about? Yes. That when he just, I think he, he was one of those that always asked the last question, you know, when everybody's packing up all their stuff and ready to go. And, <laughs> and, um, it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, that kind of a thing. I just, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it, that was exactly what you said. So usually you would start writing a note to me. Here we go. <laughs> he does this every week. And he rambled forever. But that one time it wasn't, oh my gosh, it was loud when you said oh my god and then do you remember that you looked yes. at me and said was that out did i say that out loud <laughs> yeah it was it was not good <laughs> but right, so everybody probably agreed with it too so quietly you know i think there's a i bet you've never heard this story joel there was a a, a, a feisty side to you oh, yeah. that was very like the feistiness in my mom too it's like both of you had that that little thing where people thought they had you figured out, but yet you were fairly unpredictable. So there is a story about some kids bringing hats with beanies on top that would twirl. And Carolyn went to run the halls with one of those hats on to see how fast she could get to go. <laughs> You're a small woman. Did I ran pick into you up That or? was pretty good. I rounded a corner and ran into one of those six foot five priests, you know, and just, oh my gosh, good evening, Father, whoever, you know, I was horrified, <laughs> horrified. And I, I, too, you were thinking about feisty. Lynch was a, a boys in the girls' division, and so we went through Sister Norbert. She was the principal, and she was pretty stern, but I loved her, and she was so supportive of us in the long run. But I used to get called to her office because I had done something that I had to ask. I figured it was better to tell her I was sorry than to ask permission to begin with, you know, just for little things that I had started doing. Not bad stuff, but just getting things kind of rolling a little bit faster than she probably would have liked. She was the best. She came back to Lynch one time before she passed away, and we dedica dedicated a halftime show to her because she had said yes to brigade, and we didn't know if she would or not. And she wrote me the nicest letter after that that I still have. I just yeah. appreciated her so light and, and all her sternness. She was the one to start that school and to, to be the first principal for the girls' division. One of the things that's interesting to me thinking back is that while you were starting things too, when you started the brigade, you used taped music. Yes. And then they began to get pretty good, but then the band program started. Yes. 
my favorite, Joe Cardinelli. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, we did. We, well, first, we had a record player for a while. We did about... Oh, my gosh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Literally up in the press box holding a microphone to a record player. Yeah. And hoping it didn't jump or skip mm. or do something like that. Then it was cassette tapes. And that, that was always a little tricky. And I'll, I'll never forget one time looking up at the speakers in the stadium and they were all pointed toward the stands, of course. So the kids could hardly hear the music mm-hmm. most of the time, but they would hear it start. And then they told me they just counted uh, the routine and they, or they heard it or not, they were always right on. Working with a band was great. First, we just had a drum corps and those guys were a lot of fun. And then we got the band and I worked with Joe Cartnelli for years. He and I were polar opposites. Uh, he's very innovative and very creative and uh, way ahead of his time with with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of really good stuff. I have two questions. One is, Whitney's reading a book right now called We Were Feminist Once, and it talks about how the, lab- the title feminist, the label feminist, how it's changed over the years. Do you think that it has from when you were starting that? Compared to nowadays, and I think the like subtitle of that book is "From Riot Girl to Cover Girl," and now it's being <laughs> sold as a it's it's being marketed, if you will. Do you think it's changed? Yes, and you look back in those sixties and seventies; they're really it was pretty unequal for women a lot. I mean, I don't I don't think I consciously ever really thought about that term with what we were doing. But I don't I think just, anybody was using that term. Well, they started using it like in the 70s. Right, exactly. Yeah. But it was just all about helping the kids out and doing stuff for them. And but we were feminists once, yes, you and I. Yes. We were. Yeah. And your story is not burning bras in the no. hallway of the Catholic school. <laughs> no. It's completely different. It was very much more... There were hundreds of meetings. Like, it, it wasn't easy. Nothing was None easy. None of it was easy. Nothing was easy. None of it was easy. And really, we were kind of a good duo because you were strong, but not much schmooze. Yeah, I have no schmooze. And I have a lot of schmooze, (laughs) but I would have backed up too soon. And I still don't have a degree yet. Like, I'm still at SMU and all that. That's a great lead into my second question is you, I've heard you say more than once that when you were at Lynch and as a teacher, and from what I'm hearing around all this as well, possibly, fives go to eight, they share a line with eight. And that all seems like very eight energy, eight attitude, eight motivation around all that. Yeah, I think so. And, and I've said before, too, that um, I think I went to school every day with my eight energy. And I think I had to because I was always in charge. You know, you're in charge in your classroom, and then extracurricular activities, you're in charge. It didn't change, I don't think, how I, you know, acted outwardly, but I think it changed my attitude because I knew I was in charge and had to take charge to do things and get things done. It just now occurred to me that the office in the gym is what saved you in terms of energy. Because yeah. you'd go fight the good fight, but then you had a place to retreat to. <laughs> right. Where nobody came. Right. Except 
kids when they were there for a class. And right. then you'd fight the good fight and come back. It also is interesting to me looking back, I've never thought about it before, that it was also you in a huge space because all your classes were in the gym with lots of order and here's how we're going to do it and nobody messed with you. And people who've never met you, <laughs> you're not a, a giant physically. Like you're, how tall are you? Five, one? Probably about five, one. Yeah. That may be pushing it. I think I'm shrinking. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I think you were five, one then. Okay. Okay. You mentioned something that made it happen was that you were single. Did that help you or that just makes sense that then not only do you have the office, but you also get to pull back from. Yeah. From and I went home exhausted. Yeah. Every day from, I guess a lot of it was all the interactions. You know, you're dealing constantly with a Julian adolescence, which was great. Um, but yeah, that's a, I'd go home just tired. And then you don't have to deal with the uh, eight-month-old that shattered your window while you were at work. That happened to me last weekend. I'm sorry. No, I I didn't. (laughs) So, Joel, in in the day, we had pep rallies every week, too. (laughs) And she's dealing with that. And there was a, a student whose name was Judy Coyne. And she had the same dry humor that Carolyn had. And so we don't normally see fives as really creative and coming up with not very creative all kinds of stuff. But you were a big contributor to Judy's creativity around all that stuff that went on. Mother Fryer. Talk about Mother Fryer and talk about the stepsisters. Judy uh, created a character. It was uh, Mother Fryer, and she dressed up in a habit and was part of a, most pep rallies. And with always a skit. And one of them was the was this, this three stepsister, Cinderella, were step up, step down, and step aside. Those were their names. And, they and were, you and Judy would sit and thoroughly be entertained by each other and yourselves <laughs> while you wrote all of those skits. Yeah. And we would go shopping at Goodwill to find outfits for all the characters and we had a good time. We did a couple other things that. No, probably the number one story that mom tells uh, about fives and y'all's relationship as well is when you were going to have your knee surgery. Okay. And you were going to have your uh, neighbor take you. Yes, my really close friend neighbor. Yes. All right. So I literally, <laughs> I literally want to hear you tell a story from your perspective. I've, I've heard Suzanne's side of the phone. No, she's not taking you. I don't even know this woman. She told it right. I mean, I just, I guess she might have been busy and, you know, and I didn't want to bother you too much. So I just asked my next door neighbor if she would take me. Didn't sit well. And then when allegedly you got very, uh, as mom said, I could do it verbatim, you know, the shot before the shot. Right. To relax you <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Uh, she talks about y'all's uh, exchange there. I would like to hear your side of that. I was really, really, really glad she was there. And I told her. And then she went for that hug? Yeah, I was, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like hugs. <laughs> you didn't want one that day, though. Well, that was, I'm sure, was the effect of the, of you the think, medicine. You think? Yes. I felt like I'd had all you were giving me that day. <laughs> What about one of the things that uh, 
want to talk about was when you were diagnosed with cancer. Okay. All right. Uh, I went to the doctor for just a routine checkup, and she asked me when the last time I had a mammogram. Could not remember. Had no idea. And she said, go get one. So I did. And when the results came back, there were, uh, it was breast cancer. There were a couple of suspicious spots that they wanted to further look at. And I don't, I don't know. I just decided that I wasn't going to say anything to anybody until I knew what it was and what we were dealing with. So I didn't. Um, and then I decided, after I got the information on, there was one spot that it was, uh, we were going to have to do surgery to remove it. It was cancerous. Um, then I decided I would tell Suzanne or Joey or Jenny first, depending on who I saw first or talked to or was <laughs> with. And then I think Suzanne was out of town. And Joey and I happened to go to the movies. And so I thought, okay, I'll tell Joey. And then I didn't because we were having such a good time. <laughs> I didn't want to put a downer on it. And then I just eventually told them and told my sister and my niece. Um, I think part of that was, I think it was, it was twofold. I think it was I wanted to know what we were dealing with before I t told anybody. I just didn't want to call Suzanne and say, eh, I think I have cancer because I knew that they would worry. Um, so I think that was a big part of it was just wanting to get more information from the doctors after they did a little biopsy. Um, and then I think part of it was private, but, but the main thing was want to have the right information so we would know and nobody would be worried kind of a thing. I kind of felt like looking back on that, that maybe one of the reasons you didn't tell any of us earlier is because you intuitively or maybe intentionally didn't want to manage your feelings and mine. I don't remember thinking that. Well, I maybe remember. I just made that up as a reason why you wouldn't tell me the minute you found out. No, it was, it was honestly just didn't want to worry you and wanted to have the information about what was really happening and instead of their two suspicious spots. I wanted to know exactly. Do you see how what? that's such a head trip? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm curious. We talk about being treating other people the way we would want to be treated. If I go tomorrow and it turns out, you know, I've got a suspicious spot on my testicle. How about back. your back? Back. Okay. So I was just trying to make it a yeah. It's apples a, to apples in yeah. this storytelling. Okay. No. <laughs> Let's just use different fruit. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> All right. On my back. And because uh, I, I think I'd probably be the same. I would, my actions would be similar. Maybe not for the same reason. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the downer. And if it was suspicious and we need more information, I too would not really want to talk about it. Like, let's see, let's see what happens first. Would you want me to tell you about the suspicions? Or would you want me to hold off like you did and wait until we have a little bit more, more facts? See, I really feel mixed about that. I would want to know, but yet I totally understand where you're coming from or someone's coming from on wanting to know what's really 
totally what's going on first. So I understand that you would understand if he did that. But what if I didn't tell you? I wouldn't want you to tell me. I probably wouldn't like that at all. If I didn't. Right. Right. And is that because of our relationship and how close we are? Or is that because you know that I'm different from you? Both. So probably, probably more the first, but both. Yeah. So we could get on like recorded right now that if you get another diagnosis like that, there's not going to be any waiting before you call. Because the whole point of this setup was just to get to this point right That's here. That's it. <laughs> it was really Got you backed into a corner. I couldn't promise that. I don't think. Interesting. Would you want, you would, but you would want, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may not tell me, but you, for your reasons, but you know that I would want to know right away. Right. And because of that, I would probably tell you. Well, we've had a practice round now. I, my mom wouldn't tell me either. You remember when yeah. she had suspicious mammograms, didn't know till it was over. Well, I had a lump, but it's benign. Do you all yeah. think that was Enneagram related? Absolutely. That because they're both fives? Yep. And Can you imagine you know, me? Can you imagine me not telling all 19 humans, <laughs> 20 humans with Carolyn, that I have a suspicious lump what? in my breast? Like I, w- I can't imagine that, but also we would all, 20 of us, know about scheduling of the like today we're scheduling the appointment and now the appointment's been scheduled and i'm going on this day and then here's what we're doing the morning of before we get there okay okay good good (laughs) and then i think the question gets to be then who gets to have their way and see at the end of the day carolyn gets to have her way i want her to tell me everything about her health and any information that she gets because of how and who I am. But because I know the Enneagram, there's all kinds of grace if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think people get hurt more who don't know the Enneagram. Right. It's astonishing that we've been such close friends for so long because we are so different. I know. To this day, you've told way more people about my breast cancer than I have. Sure. <laughs> Outside of immediate family, I really hardly told anybody. Yeah. Well, do you think that's because you wouldn't have told anybody, or do you think that's because for 50 years you've had me to do it for you? I wouldn't have told anybody. Uh, we get more and more questions wanting uh, help on how to mend something broken. Mm-hmm. So I, I, we received one, uh, I think it was yesterday, that a girl, she's like, I'm such and such number, and my best friend for forever, such and such number, picked up and moved. And basically said, I'm moving, and bye. And she's furious at her now, and they haven't talked for months, and she's wanting to bridge that. But it's who gets their way, the mm-hmm. other number. I mean... That's how they handled the situation, and that's not how you would handle the situation. However, you have to have the space for that. Does that? Yeah. I, I, I don't think, gosh, in 50 years, I don't think we've ever come across anything that 
we disagreed on or that separated us that lasted for very long. I agree. But I don't remember us working stuff out when we were younger either. Seems like it just kind of fell into place or... Yeah, do you? No. I can't remember us processing things and talking about our relationship and... Can we process and talk about uh, another example of stories told past whenever you would move, Carolyn, and how the two different anagram numbers <laughs> uh, address that issue? Your mom is the most organized mover I've ever met in my life. I mean, well, number one, she's done it so many times, bless her heart, that she is, she could patent her system. I, you guys helped with, I've only made a couple of moves, and your family helped. And there were times that I moved that I would take stuff to the new place, you know, like the week before, start moving some stuff. But boy, the day of, I was like overwhelmed. I mean, just kind of standing there looking at everything. Worthless. I mean, just kind of worthless. I'm in total agreement with that. I don't know. I don't know what that, what is it? Just overwhelmed? I mean. I think part of it is you just don't like change. Well, that's probably, well, yeah, even though you are looking forward to it. Right. But still change it. Change is hard. You know, I was just sitting here thinking, do you think that we've been friends for so long that somewhere along the way we intuitively learned to do for the other one the part they don't do well? Probably. So I, I, it just occurred to me, I kind of hate to put this out in the world. Uh-oh. Well, it's about me. Oh, okay. If it was well, about you, it wouldn't bother me <laughs> at all. It doesn't bother me to talk to the world I about know, you. I know, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to get a degree from Southern Methodist University and make really good grades without ever going to the library. <laughs> Ever, because Carolyn went for me. I'm a great researcher. <laughs> and I did social things for you that were really hard for you to do. Like, we would go to an event and I would talk. <laughs> and I think this, I think for the most part, our difference kept us from comparing ourselves to each other and from competing with each other. I agree with that. Because yeah, we, we're just, outwardly, we're so different. Yeah. And it's just, it's a good balance. It is a good, it, it's a good exchange. I don't even know if I'd call it balance. Col together, we're balanced. Right, that's but what I meant. It's that's an absolute exchange. And this answers the question that comes in often. You talk about how different twos and fives are. You uh -huh. know, people always want to hear about this number and this number relationship wise and the incompatibility is what people usually take away from you talking about how different y'all are. Whereas in this case, it's the opposite result. We, we are, uh, five and a two, but we're also an extrovert and an introvert. Right. And I'm an extroverted extrovert and you used to be an introverted introvert. In terms of just Enneagram language, how do you think the Enneagram has affected you in terms of you becoming so much more social. I'm still pretty introvert, introverted, but I think part of it is being around LTM so much. I am pretty 
I'm more extroverted here with a workshop or whatever than anywhere else. And I, I, I it's not real super conscious, but I, I know I need to be, I think. I mean, I check people in at workshops sometime and talk with them and stuff. And, I, and that's a good thing, I think, instead of just checking their name off a list and off they go. Um, but I'm probably more extroverted here than anywhere. Socially, I'm still pretty introverted, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I can be more extroverted. I, I think when it's needed, I, I just like the folks that are around here too a whole lot, you know? Well, do you think part of that's because they come from all over the country and you email with them more than you see them and you can be real friendly in the moment and not ever see them again? Yes. So there's no expectation there? Yeah, I think part of that's true for sure. And some of them, and I, you know, because of constant emails, we kind of get to know each other a little sure. bit that way or, you know, a little connection of some kind. Um, but yeah, some of the apprentices for the three years, uh, like Christine, mm -hmm. I, you know, have built kind of a relationship with Shout them. And I, and I really do like, you know, that. Yeah. I'll be the last one to ever want to bring up subtypes on the podcast. People have a lot of questions around Enneagram fives with certain numbers an introverted and an extroverted look just very different. You'd be surprised. It seems like kind of five, seven and eight. Mm -hmm. Carolyn, you, you've been around the Enneagram for 30 years now. One, do you feel like your dominant subtype has changed over these years? And then two, you know, everyone thinks that all fives are self-preserving, self-preserving. And, and I am, I'm self-preserving. Self, so you are self-preserving yeah. and introverted. So, all right. That, that, that was my question. That was the I, longest way to get to that. Yeah. But, but do you think there's been a change in the 50 years? And if we talk about the subtypes as a three layers of a cake, mm -hmm. do you think any layer has gotten bigger? Maybe the self-preserving layer. Is bigger, you think, mm -hmm. than it used to be? Mm-hmm. And I think part of that might be with age. Mm-hmm. I'm single. Mm -hmm. I've always known that bottom line, I was going to be responsible for me in every mm -hmm. aspect. Mm -hmm. Um and maybe that's why it's gotten bigger. I don't know, but I, but I think it has. That's very interesting because I, I would. That's not the answer I expected. What did you expect? The social. I thought you were going to say that social has gotten bigger. Well, I don't think it's a dominant. No, I, no, no. I don't either. Okay. I think self-preserving yes. is still dominant. Okay. Yes. Then I'll say but social. But I think you used to be more self-preserving, a big fat self-preserving, with a little social. And a little bit of sexual. Okay, I kind of, I think I misunderstood a little bit the question. Yes, I think so. I think absolutely self-preserving is still the most dominant, but I think social has gotten bigger. Yep. And she tried to teach me when we were. Now I'm going to point this out because it's necessary in this moment that you're ten years older than I am. But you tried when we first became friends. I was eighteen. Yeah. And you tried to teach me, and you taught me a lot of things, 
But the things that didn't take that you try to teach me were self-preserving because it's such a small layer for me. And so I think I'm more self-preserving than I was 50 years ago for sure. And you're more social than you were. And I think we've brought, we have encouraged that, not in direct ways over the years, but I remember when we got paid, we also lived together for a number of years. And after I graduated from college, but I remember when we got paid, you would always say, like, I can see you sitting there and you would say, know what I'm doing right now? I'm taking part of my check and putting it in savings. Are you? (laughs) And the answer was always no. No, I'm not doing that. Well, you should be. Literally. You know what we're going to do now? On the way to dinner, I need to go by and put my part of my check in my savings account. Like, you really worked on me on that. Sorry. And no, it's a good thing. (laughs) The question I think to end on is what would you want to share with everyone that you want them to know about fives? Of course, I can only speak for myself. Uh, We're still pretty private, but we're not cold. Uh, The people we love, we love deeply and care about them an awful lot. Uh, Boy, these are disconnected thoughts. We do need alone time or downtime because there is uh, just a certain amount of energy. I mean, when I'm done, I'm done for the day. Um, But I do need that uh, alone time. It doesn't mean that I don't. I enjoy spending time with people that I love a lot, but it's always good to go home and be quiet. Is it... Is it called the Irish goodbye when you just uh, out the back door, don't say anything to anybody? But yeah, not, yeah, I've left places before and not said anything, just kind of leave. Mm-hmm. You know what I love that came out of all this? What? We were feminists once. <laughs> because we were feminists. But, yeah. But that, you know, one of the things you taught me as I think about all the things you started and the way you did it, in all the meetings and all the asking for gym time and asking for money and asking for funding for programs and all the things that we did and all the things that we started, you modeled for me that we never did it because we were entitled to it. You always modeled that it was just the right thing to do. And I think your lack of entitlement is the reason people were able to hear you on behalf of the girls and on behalf of the things that we wanted to do. That was good. Remember that night we drank too much and then we (laughs) had to go play basketball? We're cutting off here. No more stories. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, unless Carolyn's going to do the uh, world-famous all-sports dance for us. No. And it's an audio thing anyway. I don't don't think that's ever going to happen, Joel. I'm really... Sorry that you have that expectation. It's going to happen. Uh, I think it's going to happen. It will happen. Do you? Yeah. Okay. If nothing else, it's going to be a weekend at Bernie's type situation. I don't know what that means. Oh, our listeners know. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you, Joel and Suzanne. 
Thanks for being my friend for so long. It has been my pleasure. It's a pleasure. little mushy, but I really love you. I love you too a whole lot, more than you know.